Welcome to Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever's On the Wing Podcast. Buckle up and ride shotgun as we cover everything you need to know about the uplands. The habitat. The hunting. And of course, your favorite bird dogs. One of the newest members of the Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever employee team is Nate Akey. Is it Nathaniel or is it Nathan? What what is it, Nate? Well, it's definitely it's Nathaniel. Uh, yeah, you can't you can't use Nathan. My mom my mom will have a fit. Um, but no no Nate I, Nate Aggie is fine. Nate is Nate is All fine. Right. Nathaniel Nathaniel's my full name. But yeah. yeah, yeah. So <laughs> if we need to course correct you, I'll just say Nathaniel. That's right. That's right. I'll understand. Um, <laughs> so Nate Aggie, you heard him uh, briefly. On episode one of Rooster Road Trip, um, but today we're going to dive a little deeper with with Nate on two specific topics. Uh, since since moving to Oregon from the Midwest, Nate has become something of a mountain quail fanatic, and that's way high on my bucket list of birds to. To chase the landscape looks beautiful, so I want to learn a little. Selfishly, I want to learn a little bit more, and I'm assuming there's a lot of people out there that would like to uh, learn about a little bit more about hunting mountain quail. And then the second thing that we're going to talk to Nate about, he's the first person in the 40-year history of pheasants forever and quail forever to hold the title social media strategist for the Habitat organization. So we'll dive uh, into that title, into his job, um, and, and what his philosophies are around social media. So, so we, we, got you co- we got it coming at you with both barrels, mountain quail and social media. You already heard them. Nate, welcome to On The Wing Podcast. Thanks for, uh, thanks for joining me. Yeah. Oh, cutting open a vein on your passions. That's uh, right. Tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, yeah, what, you well, do, what, you, what, what you did for a living before this. Yeah, well, th- thank you, Bob. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I'm excited to talk about this stuff. But uh, no, I, like you said, I'm originally from the Midwest, uh, Michigan specifically, Grand Rapids area, Big Rapids, kind of in that in that area. Um, you know, I went uh, I, I went to school early on for uh, natural resource management, and then ended up going to grad school for. Uh, for biology, aquatic science at Grand Valley State University. Um, I spent some time after that uh, doing doing um, some some work in that field uh, as a kind of a health inspector, but uh, more with septics and, and wells and in in that mid Michigan area. Um, and then while I was doing that, I uh, you know I had a dog. We were hunting a lot, and I, I picked up a camera. Uh, it was kind of kind of the start of all that. Um, you know, I picked up that camera initially just to take some better photos of, of my dog and the hunting that me and my friends were doing more than, more than just the, the typical grip, you know, grip and grins and, Mm. and those sort of things and trying to kind of capture that, uh, that essence of the hunt, like the things that we, that we see that really kind of stand out to us as hunters, uh, when we're doing those things, whether it be, you know, a nice point or, or, you know, just the camaraderie among friends, less about the, the you know, the killing of a bird and more about the adventure that goes along with that. Hmm. Um, so I did that, you know, just on my own 
freelance wise, I, you know, uh, started, started to, uh, to work with some other companies on just some some photos and and um went from there i actually had to make a move because of my wife's work uh midway so hmm. uh, i quit my job and we headed out to oregon you know along along that ride um i continued to take photos and video and started working for a number of different companies within the space and that transitioned into you know, hey, this guy's got an eye for photos. Maybe he's got an eye for social. You know, along the way, and 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 I enjoyed social a lot. You know, along along the way, while doing social media, I think we all have that same story of we've met many friends within within this space because of social media. And and I took that to the next step. So the the idea is, yeah, we all talk to each other, but now go meet those friends. You know, on social media mm. that you make and and hunt with them and and see what they're all about and things like that. So, you know kind of transitioned into that some uh, into more social work taking up on it and in really at the core for me it had always been you know a, a social platform for what it is being social with people meeting people and things like that and how do you transition that into an organization to spread a message right so that's where we're at now but but uh yeah it's it that's kind of the short synopsis of where I've been, how I got here, very short pieces in between, definitely missing, but it's been a fun ride and I've met a ton of, a ton of people along the way. So let me, let me ask you a few follow-up questions. Yeah. So you have a master's, right, from Grand Valley State in yeah. aquatic science. Yeah, 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 I do. It, if I recall correctly, your, like your master's thesis, was it in on like some sort of muscle? Well, kind of. Or, that was it was on or, it was on swimmers itch actually in in Higgins Lake. That's right. Yeah. I knew it. It was yeah, yeah. swimmers itch. Okay. Right, right. And the snail is is the intermediate host for that schistosome, right? So that was that was kind of what my research was on, just kind of that that bottom up dynamic of nutrients coming into the lake and how that affected the snail intermediate host health, and if so, did that health extra health or improved health uh, ultimately release you know, more of that swimmer's itch or those, those schistosomes into the water. So kind of the, the whole idea is if, if you have old septic systems around a lake and not a wastewater system or a, a treatment plant within that, mm. are those extra nutrients making their way into the lake? And then as a side thing, if swimmer's itch is an issue, maybe that's also a factor. Maybe there's something going on. If you have all that to go back into maybe the need to want to put in a you know a sewer system around these different lakes, so we're not adding nutrients into them, creating algal blooms of some sort, and then and then ultimately, you know, possibly creating swimmers itch. So it's kind of like a one-off for another reason why added nutrients into a lake aren't there, and here's another reason why it's bad for your lake. If you're if you're hmm. spend all that money to have a cabin or or something on that lake, and every time you go in, you get swimmers itch. Well, maybe there's another reason, you know. We need that. We need that waste system there, as opposed to just your on-site systems. Yeah. Hmm. So, I mean, to go all the way through college through to a master's degree, I mean, you you obviously have a passion for biology and the sciences. What has that always been? Was that what you're intended to do for your career when you're like, you know, when you're in high school and the well, yeah, what do you, the counselor says, what do you want to go do? Right. Was it going to be a biologist or what was it going to be? Yeah. So early on, that was, yeah, that was it. I loved biology. That was always my forte. Um, I loved it. I just love learning. It's, it's very process driven. It's very, you know, it also has this creative aspect when you get into a higher level where you're, you're looking at, well, 
why is this happening? And then you come up with a way to test why that might be happening. And whether you mm -hmm. prove that that's why or not why, you you know, you know add to the science of it all, right? So it was always fun to me because it's like, how do I solve this problem, but in a creative way, because you have to identify the problem and then you have to come up with a way to actually test that scientifically. So mm -hmm. it was very fun to me that way. Um, what I found is I, I found myself, it, it, back to that social aspect, right? When you're, when you're doing that research, it, it becomes a little bit of a bubble, right? It becomes hmm. a, you're, depending on what you're doing, right? Everyone has a different experience, but you, you work on this, this science and you, you kind of get stuck on your own. You're doing that research. You're stuck in a lab dissecting snails for, you know, hours a day by yourself and things like that. And you kind of miss that social environment. And, hmm. and ultimately that's where this kind of like transition from my other hobby at first using a camera, mm -hmm. video, photo turned into this like social outlet that I have that became a, more of a passion than the, than the science did. And hmm. what, what's great about this position now, and I know we're kind of jumping ahead away from there, but no, it's, what, it, yeah, it's all good. What's great about this position now is, is, you know, with pheasants forever and quail forever, the conservation aspect is, I mean, that, that is our goal here. That's our mission. So mm -hmm. I get to, I get to not only enjoy the, the aspect of, you know, that social, the marketing, the, the content, the photos, but I also get to still touch in on my passions from the past, which are very conservation driven and the outdoors mm -hmm. and, and the stuff that ultimately I love to go out and do myself. Mm -hmm. It also like the third tier that I think is probably the data that existed in your scientific background, like there's more than meets the eye when it comes to social media particularly with the role that you have it's like yeah you can post things but you really you know where the success comes is evaluating it looking at the metrics looking at the data afterwards right yeah yeah processing that data seeing what works it's it's one of those things where we can all we can all kind of just assume that these kind of things work on social they drive the message properly um, people get to see them they're excited about seeing it they like that content but the assumption is great, but it's really nice to have that data behind it. It's nice to be able mm -hmm. to turn back and say, okay, this type of post worked really good. This type of post did not. We have, you know, some great uh, habitat that we've been working on and this really fun post worked. Well, how do I, how do I show this habitat that we've been working on in a, in a fun way, that same way that that other post works. So that's where that data driven stuff, that feedback loop of the data that we have really comes into play. How do I make, mm. how do I, how do I utilize the stuff that has worked well for the stuff that we want to put out and make sure the message is clear. Hmm. Um, all right. So circling back to your background a little bit, um, did you grow up as a hunter or did that come with when you picked up the camera? Yeah, I know I grew up uh, as a hunter, you know, I, I think I was eight or nine when I shot my first deer. Uh, actually, my first one uh, was with a bow that I had no business being in a tree stand with, with that, with that, uh, <laughs> that low of poundage. But I went out with uh, a friend of the family because he kind of, he was older than I did, but he secretly wanted to hunt the, the farm that we, that we had. So he kind of used me as a conduit to go out. So we both sat in the stand that night and I I, I remember I, uh, it was actually a button buck. It turned out to be, um, but I, I drew back and, and arrowed it and found it. And I remember going to his stand and saying, Hey, I got this, I got a deer. And he's like, what? You got a deer. Hmm. And I said, I've watched my dad, you know, got so many, but 
I can't remember how to do it. And he, and he was, he was, uh, he was all for it. He helped me that day. And, and, you know, I'd been hunting with my dad even before that, which was, which was great. Uh, mostly whitetail hunting. I grew up bow hunting. My dad's an avid bow hunter. And, uh, you know, early on he would, he would, uh, he was awesome, right? He would set up two stands in the tree, every tree that he had, and he'd have two lock-ons. And I remember him just carrying me up when I was younger and he'd set me in, put a little harness on me and put me in a, in a tree stand next to him to go out hunting. And that, that, you know, those were my favorite times growing up. It was just Hmm. going out with my dad doing those things. And then it just, that passion turned into what I do did on my own and then meeting more friends. And then upland hunting, I did, you know, as a foot hunter without a dog for, for a number of years with some friends. Um, but not as avidly as obviously when I got a dog myself, that's when, that's when that took off. And I think that's when my transition, I still big game on it as much as I can. And out here, it's been, uh, it's been a new adventure out here in Oregon. Um, but you know, when you get a dog, you kind of have this dog always looking at you during the season mm-hmm. and you always want to work with them. And they're, they're like, well, what are, to leave to go big home, big game hunting is tough when you have a dog eyeballing you saying, Hey, we haven't been bird hunting in a few days. What's going on? Mm-hmm. You know? So it really turned into a passion with the dog. And I really love watching, you know, my dog Tika is her name. And then I have a, you know, a younger, she's, she's uh, going to be about four months now, uh, pop out of her, out of my older dog. But, uh, but yeah, so my passion was, came from, you know, right away when i was younger it was one of my favorite things to do being in the outdoors in general just exploring and then hunting with my father and then and then grew beyond that once i got a dog into the upland space hmm uh so did you do much grouse hunting um pheasant hunting in in michigan or was it like pretty much primarily oriented towards bow hunting and and whitetails well I, early on, early on in my life, it was mostly bow hunting, uh, and, and a little bit of duck hunting. Um, and you know, that, that was, that was always there. I would did some grouse hunting with friends. You know, I, I've mentioned this before I've, I've skipped, you know, I used to skip some class from time to time with some friends and we, uh, you know, we thought, we thought we were cool when we were younger, we'd get cigars and we'd go run around through the, through the through the thickets of Michigan and push up as many grouse and woodcock as we could while the migration was through. And we were just kind of just getting, getting away from school, completely not supposed to be there. No one knew where we were, that sort of thing. But that was, that was what we did to get away on those days. And, and I always remember that. So when the opportunity came up for me to get a dog, I was like, man, I'd like to do that with a dog. And, hmm. and, and it was, and it was great. So that, that's that, that kind of past, uh, past experience that I had really kind of was like, yeah, that was really fun. Then I imagine how this will be much more fun, even with a dog. So that that's where it turned. Okay. So I'll transition to our, our move. You and your wife moved to Oregon Mm -hmm. and you got a pup when you move, right? So you have Tika at that point or did you get Tika when you moved to Oregon? No, no, I've had, so Tika was, I think she was four and a half. Actually, we on my I had just finished uh, the NAVDA utility test, which uh, huh. back in Michigan with Tika, uh, and got a prize one. Um, and I, right after that, I think within a week, I actually moved uh, out to Oregon from there. So she was she was about four and a half at the time. Um, okay. 
So yeah. you guys were a team at that point. You were doing yeah. a fair amount of bird hunting. Yeah, right? yeah, absolutely. Grouse hunting back in Michigan, exactly. So we'd been grouse hunting, woodcock hunting back in Michigan, done a few trips out west with some family to the North Dakota area, um, had the opportunity to leave with some friends as I was moving out. My, my wife is already out here and I was finishing up. That was, I was basically sticking around just for that test. And after the test, I had the opportunity to um, leave with some friends and, and meet uh, a mutual friend of ours, Tyler Webster, on the way. And we did... I, I spent a, a, about a month or maybe a little less uh, hunting my way to Oregon with the ducks. So, <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So we, we definitely got it. And it was perfect, right? We had just got done with all that test and all that training. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, let's put it to use all over the States on our way. And and it was, it was a great time. So where do you hunt uh, over that month? So I only, we ended up only doing two States, but we went, um, Went Montana first. That was that year that uh, Tyler, I, and, uh, and and some other friends, we did um, the Montana Grouse Slam, as we were calling it. We all talk about oh, okay. slams, right? Um, so we we did all of the, we took five days and and drove around Montana to everywhere we could and and shot shot all the species of grouse that they have. And then from there, I actually went back to North Dakota before I went, <laughs> went to Oregon. Uh, and then I spent, I spent a number of days out there hunting, you know, hunting sharp tail and huns before, before I finally got the call, uh, from my wife where she was like, it was, she, and she was just my fiance at the time. And she's like, Hey, do you plan on coming out here? Or what's, what's your, what's your plan? And I said, yeah, yeah, I should, I should. And I told the guys, I said, Hey, I got to get an oil change in the morning and I got to go. So uh, <laughs> that's, that's kind of how that happened. So you move from Michigan to Oregon with a little sojourn in North Dakota and Montana in between. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, you grew up Great Lakes state. You've hunted on the prairie a little bit. Um, when you approach Oregon, you know, what's, what's your thought process? Like you, you, is it intimidating to take on something completely new and different? Do you, like, did you decide this is the species I want to go first? Like, how did you approach bird hunting in Oregon, completely foreign territory to you? Yeah, it, it was one of those things, Oregon was kind of a mystery to me and at the risk of blowing it up, um, it was one of those spots where I looked into it before I left and, and I wasn't sure about the bird hunting. And then I started looking at it and I'm like, oh, there's quite a bit of bird hunting out here between, mm. you know, chucker, you know, you have, you have your rough grouse, uh, there's sage grouse opportunities, you have huns, there's quail, obviously mountain quail, valley quail, you know, you got your rough grouse, blue grouse all these different things and they're, and they're kind of spread throughout. So I, when I first looked it up, I was, I was excited. Um, did I know where to go necessarily? Not, no, I, I was hmm. like, okay, I kind of have these regional areas that I know, but that's where, you know, back to that social, social aspect came in. I had, I had made hmm. friends online that, uh, that had information and in, in my personal life. Um, so I keyed in on that and, and, you know, I, I think a lot of people have a similar experience. And if, if you don't, I encourage anybody to reach out to these people that you see online. And the, everyone's just people, right? And we and we love to talk about bird hunting. So if you're looking and you're looking for a way to kind of understand a place that you haven't been, key in on those people that you know. And that's what I did. And I was able to find a number of friends that were able to help me find uh, hmm. areas to go to. Uh, so I hit the ground running. In fact, you know, to transfer into the mountain quail, the day that I got out here, I, I think I rolled in early in the morning, two, three in the morning, and I got in and I woke up 
man, eight o'clock. And I, and I leaned over to my wife and I said, Hey, I have a, I have a pin out in the, out in the coast range here in Oregon from a buddy for mountain quail. Do you want to, you want to go out there and see how it goes? And she's like, yeah, I haven't, you know, for her, she hadn't been out to many places. She's like, yeah, I'll go check that out with you. And, and we went the day, the day I got here, I went out mountain quail hunting. Yeah. And, and believe it or not, he, uh, he, the, the friend that I had, uh, gotten that pin from, he hadn't been out. He'd lived out here a number of years ago and he sent me that pin and we went right to it. And I, I know more than got, I don't know, maybe 150 yards around a logging trail. And there was a covey of mountain quail and I shot my first one that day. So (laughs) yeah, yeah, yeah. we got, we got lucky. I, I called him right away and I said, Hey, uh, that pin, you dropped right on the birds, by the way, you didn't, you you didn't just give me a parking lot. You, you put them right on the birds. So yeah, we were, we hit the ground running. You know, we I've done a number of podcasts with a employee of ours from, from North Dakota, Emily Spolier. Yeah. Who is a precision ag and conservation specialist in North Dakota. And she's talked about meeting other hunters through social media. So it's not a foreign topic to this podcast, but it is something that always, like, honestly surprises me. And maybe it's a generational thing. Like, I'm as a Gen Xer, that's super intimidating to me. Like, I'm, I, I'm not like I've made a lot of friends or connections through social media, but it takes me a while to feel comfortable, like going into the field with a shotgun with somebody yeah. I've not met versus, you know, through anything other than Twitter or Instagram. It, is that something that intimidates you or it's like, yeah, you know, I kind of, you know, it, do you think it's generational or is it just certain DNA that exists in people that... Man, that's a tough question. I think it might be, I think it might be a little bit of both. Is it, for me, is it a little bit of a, a challenge sometimes? Sure. But I think it's, it's one of those, I'm willing to try. I think you can kind of, you know, there's this, there's this thing that I think is that we're transitioning into the world where, where social media in some sense is a little bit of like a resume, a CV, if you will, of hmm. whether it's your personal life or your work or, or whatever else. And you can kind of get a feel from somebody on there, you know, ahead of time and just see, oh, is this the kind of person that I wouldn't mind entering the field with, you know, carrying a shotgun mm-hmm. with? And you can kind of get, uh, like I said, just a feel for that. And then, and then if, if it does feel right, then you go and you meet up with them. And then either your intuition is correct or maybe it's not, but, but you met somebody, you know, there's, there's uh-huh. been times where I've meet, met some people that, yeah, I'm like, ah, you know, maybe, maybe not the safest uh, in the field or something like that, but still good people. And then there's other times where I'm like, oh, this person was exactly what I thought. I talked to him on the phone before. This was great. Their dogs worked well with my dog, all sorts of things. So hmm. there's, um, there's there's a little bit of that. Is there an intimidation to it? Sure. I think I think there's always a little intimidation to uh, reach out to somebody new and, and kind of set that stage. And and sometimes it can be a little bit of a process where, you know, you you still talk to somebody, uh, you know, via social or whatever, a couple times before you make that leap. Uh, but right. but I do think maybe a little generational as well. I think I think, uh, you know, me, me at my young age of 29 here. Um, I, I don't have a problem meeting people that way, but I kind of grew up within those within those platforms right. as well. So you know, it, it hasn't been a challenge doing that because it's it's kind of something we've been doing for our whole lives at this point. Mm-hmm. And I grew up in the stranger danger era, you know, where 
kids were being kidnapped and right you know, right just, uh, well i mean to be fair within social as as a kid there's still definitely dangers out there and that's good then that's mm -hmm. got to be careful but as an adult i think you know you can you can utilize that and, and use your own good judgment to decide who you'd like to meet up with in those sort of things as well yeah right on uh all right let's let's talk a little bit more specifics about mountain quail you know what what attracts you to them and give us the 411 on how you hunt them yeah so mountain quail i mean for me it was just hey this is a new species i want to i want to try with my dog you know to to go after this species that not only is new to me but is fairly new to a lot of different people Mm -hmm. And and a lot of people haven't been able to you know had the opportunity to hunt them, so it it intrigued me uh, to the point where I started doing some research on them and trying to figure them out. And if anyone's done that, it's pretty easy to find out right away. There's not a whole lot of information out there. There's mm -hmm. not a whole lot of people that are actively pursuing them. There's not a whole lot of you know even scientific research out there. There's there's a there's a bit, but not not near as much as you'd see with a lot of other species. Um, so it's really it was really more of a let's go in the right area and, and, and hunt and learn and see what happens. Maybe we run into these and figure it out. Um, and that's, and that's what brought me to the, the area in Oregon here, uh, more in the coast range that, I, that I've hunted them. And early on, I realized this is not, this is not a, a prairie type hunt or anything like that. It's not similar to like a Southern plantation type style hunt. It's, it's so thick. It's, I mean, mm. it's, it's rainforest. We're, we're talking about temperate rainforest and, and then not only is it temperate rainforest, but it's, it's heavy within the logging community out here. So those, those areas are being logged and then left and, 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 you know, the floors, if you will, are, are full of of litter from that logging so it's not real conducive to having a dog on the ground and, and running around so you have to utilize the paths that you have you know some of that is a little bit older growth that you can get into and there's there's some of it that's clean and if you find some of the grasses within that it kind of turns into almost like this southern plantation style hunt but with some real tall trees and you can find mm. quail in that but then also what you'll find is there's areas that are that are just full of that litter that if you take a step not only is it moss covered you you fall through to your knee every time and your dog's doing the same up to his chest and you got to be careful you know putting yourself in a position where you could ultimately hurt yourself um and then on top of all that that could be there and it's very steep right we're still talking about a coast range mountain so these these areas that we're hunting are, are deep drainages they're they're high hills there's things like hmm. that and and it's very similar to you know almost like a, not quite as extreme as like a chucker hunting, but very similar to a, a high elevation, high hills area like that, where you're hunting hillsides quite often. So what I've found, you know, is a real good method is first off, you can, you can call in the morning. You can, you can hmm. use a call and you, they're very vocal in the mornings throughout the day. They kind of, they kind of shut up or unless you bust them up and then they'll obviously like a lot of quail, they'll, they'll mm -hmm. do a comeback. Call, call each other back. Yeah, exactly. Um, but you know it it's really utilizing those utilizing those those logging trails that are there and and not the ones that are beat up not the ones that are there but the ones that you look down and you're like can i get through there that sort of thing so the ones that have been kind of overgrown and utilize that to kind of and then have your dog get birdie right so find find scent in it and then if the dog's finding scent push in push in from there find a way to push in see if you get it. and then and then you'll likely find find birds in that area if you know if your dog's kind of got a nose for them so there's that uh that method that i've used quite often 
and it and it's worked really well for me but just kind of utilizing the paths that are there if i if i find an area of of forest that does have a way for me to maneuver through it then mm-hmm. then i'll i'll just go and that's awesome but it's very few and far between so it it's tough it, it's a lot of climate it's a lot of fallen i remember you know my days in michigan where you trip on everything going through and in times that by 10 and that's what you're running running into out there it's oh, it's wow it's a tough it's a tough experience and it's 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 really it's really a game of just like covering as much as you can but not uh you know not pushing into places that can potentially be dangerous um you know i've talked about it before just this year you know and sometimes you get lucky here's where you get lucky i'm driving around and there's a pretty steep drop off off to the side of one of the one of the logging roads that i'm driving and there's a stump from an old one and there's this mature as i come around a corner there's a mature mountain quail male on that stump like, uh, as a lookout almost for the cubby so i stop and i'm like okay well we'll get out well there's birds here we'll get out we'll give it a shot so i stop i pull off get everything around get the dog and tika goes down in no problem down this down this very steep side where in my mind i'm getting a little bird crazy and i'm like i can i can side hill that down i can you know and i she's on point i can you know i got the got the gps on her and it's going off i know she's on point down there she's got them locked in and i can i can hear them around there well as I make my way down there, they're busting, but I'm too much on the side hill to be able to take a shot. And I get myself into a little bit of a dangerous situation where now I'm trying to get out. And and it was during that dry time where this side hill was mostly dirt. And at every step I'm taking, I'm falling five. You know, I'm falling, mm. you know, and I just can't get out. Um ended up having to beat my gun up pretty good to use it as a as a crutch to get myself out of there. And it's one of those things where the terrain it's when I compare it to hunting chucker, you can, you can see how bad it looks down there when you're, when you're chucker hunting, cause it's open, but when you're mm-hmm. mountain quail hunting, it's so it's thick and everything else. And it's like deceiving, like, Oh, I could get down in there. There's that. And then you find yourself down in and you're like, Oh, they're in here. But it also leads to what these mountain quail are known to do. They're, they're very much known to, to run first flush later. Um, they're, they're, they prefer to run. And, and the reason being is that there's so much cover on the ground that they could run through that and find places to hide and get out. And, mm-hmm. and they know that running away is, is better than flying because you can see them when they fly, but you can't see them when they're running through that mm. stuff. So it, at least in the areas that, that I hunt them. Right. So it's sure. different, you know, Nevada, Northern California, places like that, where it's, it's a bit more open and you can almost find them on the edges of places you hunt, you can hunt chucker. And then you find these, you know, these these areas of juniper that are a little bit more sparse and low and now there's mountain quail in there so it's a little different in those areas but out here in the coast range it's it's thick and it and it's it's tough but when you do find them it you're in them and it's good okay so when you do find them are they in covey groups or bigger than that like multiple coveys i i it's pretty much covey groups um okay now the now the coveys i've i've found very I've found large cubbies before, uh, but they are, I would say they're single cubbies because it, it's pretty consistent. If I've found a cubby, I can go back there, you know, in a couple of weeks, they'll still be there, you know, that mm. sort of thing. They, they stick around their, their home range. I, I don't have any data on it, but from what I've, 
you know, anecdotally seen, it's not, it's not very large. I mean, you can, gotcha. you can typically go to that same area and, and run into them again. And, and I think it changes where they're at based on the seasons early, obviously water, just like a lot of birds, you got to find where there's water and those birds are going to be there as, as it gets into this later season. Now where it's typically very wet, they can get, they can get sparsed out quite, quite a, of array of areas. And, and as far as food's concerned in this area, there's just so much, you know, you, you bust open a, a crop on a mountain quail and, and it's hard to decide what seeds or what and leaf litter and, and bugs. Mm. There's just, there's just a plethora of things in that area that you never, they never really have to worry about food. It's more, it's more water and cover. And then on top of that, they're, you know, those canyons get so deep that they could be in those canyons and, and never see a person. Right there, hmm. you know, it's just near impossible to get down there. And I know they utilize it just as much as the these Roosevelt elk use them when they get pressured out here. Huh. So it's very, it, it, it's a tough game. It's kind of, it's a game of luck and a little bit of nose with your dog. But uh, but when, when you do find them, you can usually find them again. That's the good thing. What about the flush? Are they fast flyers? Do they flush as a group? Do they popcorn one at a time? What what's what's that like? Yeah, it's very it's very popcorny. Um, it's there's I mean my biggest thing is always reload. I mean I've I've run into an area where two will go off up in front and I'm like okay they're out there and they're and they're fast flying. They're they're big but they're fast flying, and then you get up there and all of a sudden two go off to your left and then two go off to your right and then to go off behind you that you pass because mm. they were running or they, you know, so they're very, they're, they're pretty unpredictable when you're in it. And it, and it actually makes it very hard to, to like target one and be ready. So you're kind of like in this little war zone of, of birds popping off this whole time. And you, you take a bad shot and then you gotta, you know, you got a double gun and then you take a good shot, but it's far off and it, it ended up not being a good shot. Now you're trying to reload and they're going off everywhere. <laughs> it's I, my advice is to bring a lot of shells. If you're going, yeah. bring a lot of shells. So ah. it's tough. All right. You, you mentioned that they're larger. They're the largest quail species in, in, um, in the United States. Um, when you got one in your hand, they're, based on photos they look beautiful yeah right? yeah um tell me about what they look like man i in my opinion they're the most beautiful quail um you know they have the these tones of blue into this real like burnt copper bands on the side with those white bands and mm -hmm. then you know that that headgear of the exclamation point you know a couple exclamation points on top and they're 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 gorgeous i mean they're they they look like a almost like a royalty of birds when you when you mm -hmm. look at them they're they you know, I, it's hard, obviously there's, there's the, the pheasant that's full of color, things like mm -hmm. that. But, but the mountain quail has, has these just distinct, these distinct colors that really make it pop out against a lot of other quail species and, and it's color based, not exactly pattern based, like a lot of other birds, but the colors mm -hmm. itself are, you know, mm -hmm. those, those blues and those coppers are really, really beautiful. And then like, like you said, the size, you know, a, a, a mature male can be the size of a hun. You know, it's it's mm. pretty. They're they're big birds. You know, they and 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 that's what makes them really fun to hunt. You know, it's a it's a quail. They're popping off everywhere, but they're but they're decent sized as well. Mm. Yeah. And how do you like to eat them? I personally, I like I like to spatchcock them. I have a Camp Chef pellet grill, and then I'll put them on there. I like to do like a lemon garlic on there. Mm. And, uh, yeah, just let that, you know, 225 for about an hour and then maybe throw a reverse sear on it on the sear box afterwards. Delicious. Delicious. Hmm. Very yeah. cool. Yeah. 
All right, so we'll transition to a little bit more of the social media strategy conversation. Before we go there, uh, I want to shout out to our national sponsor and sponsor of our podcast as well, OnX. Um, Private and public land boundaries are just the beginning of what OnX can do as a tool for any bird hunter. Um, Use the code pheasants or quail at onyxhunt.com and you can get 20% off your membership with Onyx. And when you use that code, either pheasants or quail, you'll be generating a donation from Onyx back to our organization's wildlife habitat mission, leading to better habitat, more wild birds, and more places for all of us to chase those wild birds. So thank you very much to Onyx. Um, All right, social media strategy. The first person that's ever had the title, social media strategist. Uh, And for clarity, obviously we've done social media for, I don't know, probably 15 years. We've had Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, um, we were never on in MySpace. <laughs> we were never on Pinterest, and we are not yet on TikTok. Although, right, that might be changing. Um, it, it, prior to Nate, we had an army of uh, five different people covering different channels on the Pheasants Forever brand, different channels on the Quail Forever brand. So it was sort of a um cover it by an army and now with the addition of nate the philosophy is let's get a little bit more strategic and do this with a little bit more purpose in evaluation um so you know you've been on since i think it was it september 6th yeah that was thereabouts your starting yep. date yep. yep so so at this point you know a couple of months so yeah. in your words what's um What's your day-to-day job look like as the social media strategist? Yeah, so it it's fun. First off, it's it's great. We have a ton going on here at both Pheasants Forever and Quail Forever. A ton of great content, writing, photography, work on the ground, you know, all of that stuff. So my day-to-day is really looking at all of these different things that we have going on, all of the stuff that is important to us and what is important to, um, you know, the people that are a part of this organization and, and how do we, how do we best present that? So day-to-day it's, it's going through all of these different things, finding, finding the stories that we have, finding, finding the photos, finding the videos and in making sure that that has to do with our message and then organizing that between the different platforms that we have, which you mentioned, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, and, um, and then LinkedIn as well. And in grabbing all that stuff, organizing it, talking to, you know, our, our fantastic graphic design team to, uh, you know, get the right assets to put that out there so that, uh, you know, People know what we have going on, know the the conservation efforts that we're making, the habitat, and then also know how to get involved. And then also, you know, just some lighthearted stuff, just some fun stuff that we have going and and, and the stuff that, you know, people enjoy to see as part of the hunting community. Hmm. I, I remember, so 
20 years back when I started at Pheasants Forever. It was six days before the very first ever National Pheasant Fest and Quail Classic. And, and my primary role when I got hired was to be the public relations director. And I remember, folks will remember the name Dave Nomson, uh, longtime vice president of government affairs for the organization. And uh, it pulled me into a, a meeting room at Pheasant Fest. And he's like, I need you to write a press release. I'm like, okay. That's why I'm here. He's like, okay, um, it's it, we're doing an MOU with NRCS about CRP. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? I'm like, yeah. dude, I got no idea. I came from the baseball world, right? Filled right. with acronyms, RBI, ZRA, WHIP. And he said, I need you to write a press release about an MOU with the NRCS about CRP. I was like, you're talking a different language, man. <laughs> it, 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 I tell that story because it's when you take a job at at a conservation organization. You know, it's like it's way more complex and a, so much more finesse than meets the eye. In you know whether it's government affairs, um, you know R three, um, you know it, it just all the different layers that we're involved with when it comes to habitat and, you know, talking to mm -hmm. different audiences, agencies, state agencies, federal agencies, volunteers, corporate partners. I mean, the audiences are really elected officials, really diverse. And then, then I think about the role that we put you in where mm -hmm. it's like, I had the advantage of writing a press release in the, um, you know, in early 2000s, it's like I had to turn it around quick, but it was still like, let's say a 24 hour turnaround. Yeah. When you do something like you, you're writing it and putting it out. Yeah. And like, it's instantaneous. And if you make a mistake, right, right. even right. a mistake of finesse or message, like it, it's instantaneous i mean that's that's intimidating to some level isn't it like you you had a background doing i mean you've got a master's degree you yeah. had a background doing social media for some other brands mm -hmm. but this is a much more complex organization than maybe meets the eye isn't it Oh, absolutely. There are, like you said, there's so many different entities, stakeholders, messages, you know, that we want, that we want to put out there. And and yeah, sure, it can be a little intimidating uh, putting putting those things out there um, and it's instant. But, I, you know, the nice thing is being here, it is a little bigger, bigger group. It's not just me, you know, putting it out there. There's there's multiple, multiple people on the team that I, I key in on that, you know, if we have a copy that needs to go out, you know, whether I write it or someone else writes it, we, we it's collaborative, right? It might be written by somebody else, but then I kind of take that and I formulate it so that the message is clear for whatever social platform we're putting it mm -hmm. out there or, or vice versa. I might write it and then I send it back and say, hey, does this does this you know does this work well with what we're trying to put out just to make sure so having that team makes it a little less intimidating it's not just my eyes my you know my bubble that sort of thing it's it's a collaborative group making sure that what does get seen by by everyone else is is what we want it to be and, and is true to what we're what we're trying to do so you know it may be a little intimidating some days but i think with that group it, it definitely takes away from that but 
we do we do a good job overall. I think I think we also do a pretty good job of planning the things that we need to uh, put out there, and and also we have enough people, you know, boots on the ground uh, throughout the team that are are picking up on the work that we're doing that I don't see every day, you don't see every day, but there's mm-hmm. there's chapters that are doing great work out there, and and we're gathering that and making sure that other people can get that information for us so that we can put it out and show it properly to uh, to them and do it justice for the work that's being done out there. It's, it, there's also a balance there too, right? Like, you know, I talk about, you know, that all the various audiences that we're trying to appease, mm-hmm. but from a social media perspective, you, you know, like we also are trying to pull the masses into conservation, the right. masses into bird hunting, this the passion that we love and the mission that we exist for. But, you know, as we talked while we were on the road trip, part of this, part of your role is making conservation cool too. Right. Right. Yeah. That, and that's, and that's one of those things, right? We're not, yes, we have people that are already invested in what we're doing. We have, we have plenty of people that are on board, love the, love the work they're doing. They can see it out in their everyday lives, but there are plenty of people that, you know, I met, I meet every day in my normal life that when I wear a pheasants forever hat, they're like, what is that? You know, what, mm-hmm. you know, what is this place? What do you, what do you mean you work at this? So it's also talking talking to those people how do we how do we use social media to reach reach the the people that not only are you know maybe younger older different groups but just the people that don't even know you know what we are and what we do and and i think that's where the social aspects come into play and that's um utilizing the people that are are you know on board with what we're doing putting out content that they are proud of and that we are proud of because ultimately they want to share that stuff. And so do we, and that, that sharing among other people other than just us is what ultimately pushes the message forward. So that people Mm -hmm. that don't know what we have going, get, get some, get, you know, get some way of seeing that sort of thing. And, and that's the goal, right? So that's the goal of every day when I put something out is that, is, is that true to what we're doing? Will the people that see it enjoy that and, and appreciate what we're doing? And, and will then they take that and then ultimately share it to people that have no idea who we even are, whether that be younger, older, middle-aged, it doesn't matter. Now, now we are running into a thing where we know our demographic as, as upland hunters in general is, is older, right? And, and we want to, we want to make sure that we continue to target everybody who's involved and showing, showing whether, whether you're young or old, this conservation, like you said, it, that we're doing is still cool right and that conservation as in a as in general is something that we need to be continuing to do because we want to pass this along so that it's here forever so it is a challenge it is a challenge but we're i think we're we're doing good things and keeping that happy balance between the fun stuff that we put out whether it's just a good photo a fun video um, a little satire and the work that we're doing right so having having people see the the that it's not all serious like mm-hmm. you know it's not always there's personality, uh, there's personality and there and there is right so upland hunters in general pheasant hunters quail hunters just upland hunters we all have personality we i i think about the birds that i've shot over the years and not a whole lot of them stick out but i can almost guarantee you that i can i can point to a number of days in in fun times i've had with a friend out in the field and the idea is to is to show that pheasants forever 
is is a conduit to conserve that habitat so those experiences can happen for the for everybody that goes out and enjoys it you know those life experiences that ultimately elevate our lives as people are what we want want to preserve forever right so and that starts with the habitat so how is it cool well it's cool because those experiences get to happen in the places that we ultimately preserve so yeah. that's that's really what we're trying to do and we're trying to show to to everybody else that that maybe doesn't know what we have going on mm-hmm. interesting uh, all right so i'm going to go through sort of um channel by channel, social media channel and you tell sure. me like your impressions of who our audiences are there today and kind of the strengths and weaknesses of that channel and i know Again, um, you have some amazing photography on your own personal Instagram page. So we're going to start with Instagram because I think that's your favorite. You can check yeah. me if I'm wrong. But no, tell, no. Me, tell me the uh, strengths, weaknesses, and, and who's who's following us on Instagram. Yeah, no, Instagram is definitely it's definitely my favorite because it's it's a creative conduit, and and I think everyone that's on there, you know, it, it originally was was photo based, it was image based, and you know, with my my photography, I love being able to share that on there. Um, it's it's transferred to more video as of late, but uh, but photo and video are still are still kind of what is seen on there, what wants to be seen, what everyone wants to see on there, and. And I, and I love it because of that. I love that creative aspect at the end of the day. And I think everyone else that's on there does as well, but it's also a, a great place to, to meet, to, you know, have this, have a community aspect among those people. And then also just to gain information from multiple different people that are doing things that you either are doing or want to do. Um, you know, our, our following on, on Instagram is, is pretty large. I mean, we have, we have quite a few people in, in our, I think we're in probably like the 35 to 40 range is the majority of our, our demographic. Um, so it's not necessarily old, um, but it's not necessarily young either. Um, so the idea is to, is to just continue to do what we're doing, show, show the, the, um, the creative aspect, the, the fun photos, the fun videos, the, the, you know, that, that imagery of what makes upland hunting great in, in the habitat great. And I think that's, that's where our success comes from on there. People want to see what we're doing in a creative light. And that, that platform really opens it up to that. Mm. Our largest audience is on Facebook. Tell yeah. me about, uh, tell me about your impressions of Facebook. Facebook's Facebook's been great. Um, we have a ton of a ton of writing that we do as an organization, whether it be in the organization or outside of the organization for, you know, the the journals, both QF and PF. And and on top and that gives us a platform to to share that stuff. That that writing is is perfect for the for our facebook audience they they love seeing the stuff that's going on but they they are very much blog oriented when we put out good blogs that have that have the stuff that we are doing um stuff that's happening you know just on the political spectrum all sorts of things um you know those that blog writing or just or just stories just regular stories from regular people when we when we put those things out there on facebook people love to to click they love to read and they love to uh to just just hear that stuff that we have going on so it's almost it's almost like a digital magazine in a sense where we can put those things out there in in a way that uh you can't really do with instagram because it's more you know, it's more visual based where I can I can put a link or a short story or something on Facebook and, and a lot of people will 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 read it 
and then also respond. We the the conversations that happen on on Facebook are are among the best, right? We we have a ton of conversation within the comments where they're in, in for the most part positive too. It's people expanding on what they just read and, and giving other people their own experience and then talking about that and 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 that's really where I see Facebook as as a platform where it's really it's community driven. It's a it's a conversation driver. They, these people want to want to communicate with people whether they know them or not, but they want to take in what they're seeing and then and then comment beyond that. Okay. Yeah. Twitter. How do you feel about Twitter? Well, Twitter's your forte. I mean, that's that's <laughs> that's where that's where Bob takes off. Um, no, twi- Twitter's great. Uh, as you've mentioned before, on on a political spectrum it's it's great for getting you know details of what's going on um you know across the landscape in that realm um it's also great just to you know quick this is what we have going on take a look at it and then you know what i've seen a lot with twitter recently is you know photos are doing really well on there too just that simple content people want to see an exciting Mm -hmm. photo on there and and that generates a lot of a lot of activity so twitter is a very fast-paced platform where it's there and it's gone um but it's also it's also very much um, you know if people like it the the ability to share is there and and talk about it as well. So I, I like Twitter for quick information, quick things that are coming, and then also you know the the photos that we have we can kind of cross platform those. So there's no way of knowing this you know because you can't like overlay the data. You we, certainly we we've surveyed our members, but you can't we couldn't overlay. Facebook followers with Instagram followers with Twitter followers, right? But just your gut instinct, how many people you think follow all the channels, or how many do you think are like, you know, they're Twitter addicts like me, yeah, <laughs> and yeah. that's where they live, just on Twitter, and you know, the once in a while they're on. Do you think that they're following us on all the channels, or do you think that they're channel specific? I think there's a good amount that do follow us on all the channels um, and, and we do put different different stuff out on different mm-hmm. channels as well. So there's there's a reason to do that. But I also think that even if they do, there's there's definitely like yourself where you're like you said, a Twitter addict. I enjoy Instagram where I see it first is going to be probably Instagram if it's there where you mm-hmm. see it first is probably going to be Twitter. So whether they follow it on everything or not, there's a certain platform that they they get drawn to. Um, but, you know, looking at the diversity of followers between between platforms, I do think there's a lot that just follow us on certain things. And then and then, you know, looking at those numbers as far as like how many followers we have to how many, how many members we have on a, on a, at any given time, you know, that differs. And the, the, the next challenge is making sure what we're putting out there ultimately, you know, converts someone from just being a follower and they're, they're a follower, but to a member, to being more involved, whether it be, whether it be monetarily or they, they go to a, a banquet or they, you know, they, they reach out to a local chapter and see what work they're doing so that they can get involved there. And, and the goal of all of this social is to show that stuff so that these people that follow us, that see it, say, that's something I want to be involved in because they're doing, they're doing the stuff that, that matters to me. So yeah. that, and that's, and that's really, that's really the goal of all of it. That's what we're up to. Yeah. Right. At conversion. Yeah. Get, you know, introduce them to the organization and then get them to become a member and, you know, become connected. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, YouTube. Um, probably yeah. we're, we're posting more on YouTube in the last year than 
the last decade combined. Tell, tell me about uh, YouTube. YouTube, YouTube's great. Um, it, for us, it's, it's been the, the way we house our videos that we're putting out. Um, and, and, it, and it works great as the platform for that. They've also expanded recently into more of that, that vertical style video stuff that, that we haven't toyed with yet, but it's on my radar as something that we, we should probably start, start implementing as well. Cause we, we're doing a lot more vertical video stuff with between Instagram mm. and then, and then, you know, TikTok probably in the future as well. So using YouTube as more of a, a social place, as opposed to a place to just house our video videos will be, will be something that we'll be doing in the future. But, um, but right now it's, it's great for what we're doing going on there. You can see, you know, we're talking about rooster road trip, which we're, you know, laying, laying out this month of November. And, and you, the cool thing is you could go in there, you could watch all of this year's, and then you can go back and you can watch all of the other years. And it's always there. And that's the nice thing about YouTube is it's, it's, it's not a, it's not just a drop in the bucket and then it's gone. Like these other social platforms, right. YouTube is a, it's constantly there. People can always search for it. Um, they can always find it and, it and it continues to, you know, live on beyond just that, just that day that it's posted, that sort of thing. So you've left a couple cookie crumbs for me already with this next question. What's next? What's what's in the future? Um, yeah, what, yeah. What, what do you what do you think there? Well, I, for me, I obviously TikTok is something that I think um, can be utilized in a good way. There, there's good and bad with TikTok. There's just like there's good and bad with it with every platform. But but the good of TikTok that I'm seeing is is a lot of people are using it as a you know somewhat of a search engine for information. And mm -hmm. because they're doing that, I see it as a a place where we can put information about habitat birds, you know, hunting, you know, the shotguns we use, using it as a platform where we can put that stuff out there, the information that we have, and it can be a source for the, the people that use TikTok to find that information. So mm -hmm. in the future, that is that is definitely something I want to do. We're already starting to do it because we're leaning into some more video assets and, and, and not only just, at, you know, at a national level, a lot of the groups throughout, you know, phones have become so advanced that we can grab we can grab video from everybody these days and and we want to use that and we want to we want to show we want to use TikTok once again as as a platform to really be educational in some way in a little fun as always because we still want to have fun but but definitely you know into that educational side and uh and that's that's what's coming for the future there once again youtube starting that sort of thing there but then mm. but then just overall in social media we want to start doing you know more more of more of the the fun video stuff we want to in the past me coming in right so just looking at pfqf from the outside as a regular person mm -hmm. works always been great content is has always been has always been a little bit more towards the writing side which is which is great but with the fast-paced world that we're in now video and photos and things like that really really are what you need first you need great writing behind it but you need that that initial imagery to to get people to say okay so what this is awesome what are they what are they talking about what are they writing about what is that and that's the the future for social for me and for the organization going forward is going to be gathering better content to make sure that the writing that we're doing gets seen because people are like, Hey, this video is great. What's the main story behind this? I want to read that. I want to see what's going on there. So yeah, that's what, that's what we're up to. Cool. Um, you're a couple months in, what are you most proud of so far in the, in the job you've done? Yeah. Uh, man, I, I, it leans into rooster road trip. I'm, I'm, 
really excited about you know i i had the opportunity to film which is with with aaron uh which is our our film guy and he's he's an incredible talent and being able to work there and and finally work with somebody else with filming where i've done some in my Mm -hmm. in my past on my own but really having this whole team i'm proud not as an individual but proud of the product that we're putting out and being able to do it start to finish and not only being not when i say start i mean from clicking record to me sure. posting it right so so being that just proud of this whole process that we've been going through as a team and being collaborative and organized and in in making sure what we're putting out there is exactly what we wanted from start to finish you know that that's that's really that's something that i've been i've been proud of to be a part of throughout this whole process so far but uh but you know personally i think uh you know if i'm if I'm looking just as myself, what I'm proud of beyond just that whole, that whole team aspect, man, we've, we've already, I keep saying we, I have a hard time with the I thing, but we, we've used a lot of this content and our, and our channels have grown more from what I've heard from you guys before I got here within the last couple of months than they have in the past. And, and that's because it's, it's less about new content because the content is the same and I'm, I'm just happy and proud of the way we've been able to put these things out in in a much more buttoned up way in a more consumable way so that people are responding to it better yeah it, well and you've got you've had a really stroke of genius with more user generated content with uh particularly on instagram too right yeah 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 and that's and that's something that i'd like to i, I definitely like to do more we have a lot of talented people that are very much involved with what we have going already and it doesn't need to just come from our small group up top i want i want i want my inbox on a monday morning to be full i do i do i want of all the all the great things that people people are doing out there and in the content that they're getting and they would like us to share because i think that user generated content it it really shows what the people that care about what we're doing are doing and i want to i want to highlight them as well and elevate them so <clears throat> I'll ask you to throw out your email address, but if they're going to send content to you, photos, video, it has to come to you kind of in higher quality to be able to be used. What's What are the parameters there for photos and for video being sent in from our Quail Forever members and Pheasants Forever members and chapter volunteers? What? How do you want that delivered? Yeah, that's it's it's definitely it's tough to say, but uh, with video, if you're using your phone, at the very least, 1080p. I, I 4K preferably if you're doing video. Just if you can turn your phone to that and you want to send that in, that's that's better. So we can really, really, you know, we want to elevate everything, and that part of that is we want the quality of the stuff that we're putting out there to be to be much higher. So when it comes to video, really in the highest quality you can get that's great. And, and the same goes for photo. Um, you know, a lot of phones now you can, you can take photos in raw, um, just having a higher pixel count for that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, is, is, you know, at least in the thousands, if, if you understand what I'm saying on here, but at least in the thousands would be great. Um, so we can utilize that stuff with, with very crispness on our, on our platforms so that, you know, the stuff we're putting out there doesn't look like it's, you know, from 10 years ago. Right. So, so we're doing better at that as a whole. We're doing and and we're doing great. If people are going to send stuff over, that's that's how, definitely how I'd prefer it. And if a good rule of thumb I've always used for photos, if if that photo is less than one megabyte file yeah. size, it's too it, it's too small. It needs Pro- to be one megabyte or larger for it to be high res enough to for us to use. 
It's a great role. Absolutely. And then, and then beyond that, if you send it in and it's, and it's great. And there's a lot of the editorial print stuff that we do, you know, if it's great having it in that higher quality opens you up, if we really like it, you know, to be able to use it on those platforms as well. So, yeah. Throw out your email address for folks. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's, Nakey, N-A-K-E-Y, uh, first letter of my first name and, and my last name, at pheasantsforever.org. There we go. Uh, anything we missed? Anything you want to touch on before we close? No, I think I think we covered it all. I'm excited. I think, uh, you know, about the time this will be released, we'll be doing some uh, mountain quail hunting as an organization. So be on the lookout for a little video that uh, encompasses some of that as well. Awesome. Great to have you on board, getting all of us, uh, our, all of us cats herded in together right? <laughs> uh, on all That's the right. social media channels. Thanks very much, Nate. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Thanks for having me on. All right. All right, folks. Um, most importantly, if you're not yet a member, now is a great time to become a member. Or, you know, we're coming into the holiday season. Please consider Buying a gift membership for somebody. Um, check out our current offers, pheasantsforever.org or quailforever.org. You can buy a gift membership. It's a good cause, tax deductible, and uh, we definitely need you involved in our habitat mission. Uh, thank you for listening to this episode of On the Wing Podcast. And I'm Bob St. Pierre reminding you to always follow the doc. Something good will rise. Thanks, folks. <laughs>